0: Hey, this is Coach Brendan, sir. I am so excited to talk to you about the incredible, incredible learning opportunity that we have at coaching you. For you, Zach and I over the last month have been figuring out what we can do to help coaches that are, you know, all across the country that follow us, that listen to our podcast, that have attended our events, do to take them to another level as a coach. I know. I've been learning so much during this period. There's always something that's really good that happens in terrible situations. The learning aspect for all of us, hopefully for you, has been really powerful. But what we did is we came across an opportunity that we felt we couldn't ignore during this circumstance, and that's to help you develop, continue to develop as a coach. Let me share it with you. We put together 32 videos that are the best of the best of coaching you. Coaches like Billy Donovan, Doc Rivers, Eric Spolster, Mike D'Antoni, Alvin Gentry, you know, Quinn Snyder, Jay Billis, Lenny Acoff, Lawrence Frank, you know, uh, Edore Messina, Stan Van Gundy, uh, you know, all these people that have just been so influential in the game in every aspect of the game, 32 videos of the best teaching that we've ever had. As well as John Gordon giving one of his incredible leadership talks about the power of a positive team. The best of the best content that we've had in our last 12 years at Coaching You. Available today for only $299. As a bonus, we didn't want to stop there. For only $299, we said we're going to give you more. We put together a bundle of eight of the best player development coaches in basketball to share with you a $200 value. As a bonus for you purchasing these videos. This bonus includes videos from Gannon Baker, Joe Abunasar, Mike Procopio, Chris Oliver, Chip England, and Mano Watsa from PGC. Additionally, I'm also including my PhD in coaching course, which is really not about basketball. as It, much, it really is about the art of coaching. This is all the things that I've learned from UB Brown, from Chuck Daly... Lenny Wilkins, all the great coaches I've been around in the NBA and in college, and what I want to do is share with you more about the art rather than about X's and O's. This is a hundred and fifty-dollar value as a bonus when you purchase our thirty-two-set video at two ninety-nine. We're also going to throw in ten videos from our two next-gen coaches forums from the last two years. Guys like Mike Boynton, Donnie Jones, Conzo Martin, Bob Ritchie, David Patrick, Eric Musselman, Porter Moser, Rob Lanier, Matthew Driscoll, and Larry Shiat, these ten videos are a blueprint to your success in coaching. All included today if you purchase for two hundred ninety nine our best of coaching you live videos. That's five video sets, including sixty seven total videos with over fifty six hours of learning, a total value of $1,226, all for only 299 To purchase, go to coachingyoulive.com forward slash best offer ever. Now, to get you into fast action and quick decision making like all good players and coaches, in the next 48 hours, if you sign up and purchase for only $299, you are going to get $1,226 worth of videos and bonuses, and the extra bonus is a 30-minute one-on-one Zoom coaching call with myself. Remember, it's only available for those who sign up in the first 48 hours of this offer. Please sign up. I look forward to coaching you. So make sure you log on to coachingyoulive.com forward slash best offer ever and get your videos today. Hey, welcome to another edition of our Coaching You podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. Today, I am taking you to a place you haven't been before with one of the really great talents of breaking down the game. Uh, You know, and all I can say is Coach Nick Basketball Breakdown is that person. Uh, I've been following him for the 10 years he's been in existence. Uh, He's got an extraordinary YouTube site. I don't even want to scare you with how many people are subscribers, like 750,000. Uh, but the stuff is so good. It's like uh, I close my eyes and I listened to him. It's like listening to a scouting report on a team before an NBA game. One of the most knowledgeable guys I've ever come across in coaching. I think I spent an hour with Coach Nick and I learned so much. I'm better for it. So I sit back Enjoy our conversation, cause it's a good one. Fast Model Sports is the world's most comprehensive, versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. Fast Model has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding in the digital world with an incredibly easy to use interface that can be used on both your computer and iPad to providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. It doesn't stop there. Along with FastPro, they have other great programs such as Fast Scout, which helps coaches create clean, professional scouting reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by all NBA and WNBA teams. At Fast Model. And I am so thrilled today to have one of the great, great minds in basketball, Coach Nick Basketball Breakdown, as our guest. Nick, welcome, my friend.
1: Uh, thank you, Coach. I am honored to uh, to be part of this.
0: You know, uh, we met a few years ago in Vegas, and uh, and I've been absolutely blown away by you. You know, it's not you know I, you know I've been doing this stuff for too long. Probably a lot of my players would say, but you know, forty nine years. And There's only really two coaches that I know that can be approached and referenced as coach k and coach nick so welcome to that company <laughs> my friend
1: well there's some like football guy named coach nick too yeah but we have speak. to
0: give Sabin. in louisiana we call him <laughs> saban you know so but in, uh, okay good but, but he we love him he's a great one but you're coach nick he's coach saban so uh let me ask you that what in studying your things and i it's absolutely fascinating to me uh what was the purpose of you starting
1: well, you know, it's it's uh, interesting you asked that question because for the last like week and a half, I've been breaking down the two thousand nine Bulls Celtics first round series that went seven games and five of them went to overtime. And in watching that, and having grown up, you know, in Chicago and mm-hmm. a Bulls fan, uh, you know, it, it was epic and people were going nuts about it, but. Uh, th- there were some interesting details I think that were being missed and weren't being covered. And when I decided to try and do a YouTube channel in 2010, in the spring, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and that kind of grabbed me. I'm like, you know, that was a good example of where you know more information would have benefited the how you know the, the play. And so, out of that uh, series, uh, I decided to create beball Breakdown to sort of give a little bit more of an insight. Uh, into what's going on in the court, and, you know, possession by possession uh, versus sort of what you see, you saw back then, which was cursory, you know, and understandably so. And um, it kind of it, it took off pretty quick.
0: You know, I was watching it the other day, that exact thing that you put in there, and I'm, I, I catch myself and I'm saying, "Shoot, am I watching something that he did ten years ago?" And and I'm saying, "No, this thing was done two days ago," and and the <laughs> breakdown of it was incredible. And a couple of things. Number one, I would do anything to have your voice. It is incredible. It's like a broadcaster's voice. It's fabulous. And the second thing is uh, the, your knowledge of the way you break things down, both on the offensive, and defensive ends of the ball, are, are absolutely spot on. You know, where did you develop that? You know, because that's talent. That's pure talent. Where where did you develop that to get that insight to do that?
1: Um, well, you know, I was—I guess as a player, I was always that guy who was kind of like a coach on the floor. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, you know, I guess I could say that I learned, you know, from coaching, you know, from playing and coaching. I, you know, I, I, I would have played Division Three, but I went to Wisconsin and I was a basketball manager there under Stu Jackson. So I would say that that was the beginning of my advanced level knowledge of what the game was about, spending two years there. Cause uh, it was also Stan Dan Gundy was an assistant then yep. um, Ray McCallum, uh, Sean Miller was another assistant for one of those years. So, you know, you really get to, learn. I mean, if you, if you pay attention <laughs> as a manager and not just stand there and not, you know, taking your butt, uh, you can learn a lot. And Stu, you know, it, it's, I, I kind of feel like it's unfortunate he didn't continue coaching. Cause I think he is one of those really great coaches that could have had a great career if he decided he wanted to keep coaching. So, uh, I learned a lot there. Uh, Then I started coaching in high school. And then uh, sort of a funny story, uh, I had brought the triangle offense to – I was an assistant varsity coach in L.A. And uh, the Lakers were playing in the summer league. This is back, you know, 1999 uh, down in Long Beach. And so I said, hey, let's go find Tex winner. And see if they'll talk to us. <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we put our we put our coaching shirts on and I brought a clipboard and I the pyramid in Long Beach and you know, we try to look as official as possible. We walked right on the floor, no one even bothered looked at us twice, and we, like grabbed him by the arm and Next thing you know, I was able to spend a lot of time with him learning about the triangle, and then that kind of brought me into the history of of basketball, and I really started studying, you know, the game from the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and just dissecting how the evolution of offense happened. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, you kind of get an understanding of how all these things work, uh, just even based on that.
0: Tex is a dear – was a dear friend and an incredible teacher. And as we watched the last dance, uh, you know – he ne- he really didn't get enough credit in my mind but uh one of the things that you know th- there were so many things that it was how great it was 10 episodes <laughs> of just you know we could have all seen 20 uh they could have yeah. done so much more in certain areas and one of them was uh i think it was possibly going into my third year with the business after when we finally lost to them and our guys were at the point with the Pistons where we were getting very bored. Uh, when you've been together for several years and play, we played the same way all the time, our style of play that Chuck Daly had was playoff basketball for all 82 games. You know, that's the way we played. We never made an adjustment in the playoffs. But Chuck could see that we were getting bored, uh, same plays and all that. So... About a half halfway through the season, about January, he he said, uh, "We're going to have some fun. We're going to put in the triangle." So yeah. we had to play the Bulls six times. You know, we play them six, seven in the playoffs. So we're going to really become so good at it. So our guys, we told them what we we're doing, and Isaiah and Dumars, Lambier, they loved it. They thought it was great. And and Rodman was a natural at it. Yeah. And uh, so fast forward to February, mid-February of that year. We've been running it for about a month. I'm at the All-Star game in Orlando. And all of a sudden, text winner sees me in the lobby. And he says, get over here. Grabs me. And he (laughs) says, what the hell are you doing? I said, what are you talking about? And he says, you're bastardizing the triangle. (laughs) You are. I said, and I like, I was happy that he at least noticed on our game tapes that we were, and he says, but you know, just like our team, you know, he says, do Mars and Isaiah f***ing it up just like Scotty and Michael are, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. Isaiah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but that that was like one of the all-time classic behind-the-scenes thing, and I just said, man, that, that was fabulous. And I went back and told Isaiah and, that, and they were so happy that they kind of, we got under, you know, their skin a little. Now, Phil probably didn't give a damn, but you know, but Tex right. was pissed, you know, and I, I just <laughs> loved it. But you know what's interesting is that it's such a great team offense, and you know, and you saw it, it's a great but I wonder what what's your feeling and you've broken it down I'm sure many times what why hasn't it caught on so that other, other teams in the NBA
1: run it your well feelings? you know we we've seen other teams try and by the way I had seen a uh you uh, know whenever the triangle is run my, I have a spidey sense. Like, even if I'm not watching very carefully, all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I'll see it. Like, I can remember watching uh, a, a Phoenix Suns game from 1972, let's just say, on you know NBA Classics, whatever it was, uh-huh. and I wasn't really paying attention. But all of so I was like, wait a minute, that that was pinch post. And then I'm watching more, and then I had this, I start looking it up, and you realize it was Cotton Fitzsimmons yep. who was Texas assistant, and yep. they were running the you know the pure triangle back then. So, um, you've seen it happen after the Bulls ran it. Uh, you saw Jim Clemens try in Dallas. We saw yep. um, Kurt Rambis. We saw Danny Ainge in Phoenix. Um, and uh, I think that might – there's probably a couple other things. Maybe Thibodeau, well, Thibodeau ran the triangle with Derrick Rose uh, 20% of the time and somebody had even asked him later on if he realized he was, and he had no idea. Which <laughs> um, yeah. Because when he was in New York and they were trying to run it with Fisher, I mean, am I, I'm not sure the timeline's right, but something like that where he was, he was kind of he couldn't figure out what was going on, and I, I was trying to tell him on Twitter, I'm like, no, you, you ran it. You ran this stuff. So
0: How about that? The
1: reason why, if you look at it and you back up enough, I think the one constant that was on the Bulls and the Lakers was text, and they did, yep. the other teams did not have him. And I I was able to spend hours and hours and hours with him going over footage and really discussing how to teach it, which I think is really the important thing. Um, And you need to have attention to detail. And like you said, could you possibly imagine a coach saying that Michael and Scotty were screwing up the triangle offense, right? But and, and then Isaiah guy,
0: and Joe are too, yeah. <laughs>
1: you know. Right, you know. And by the way, he, I, I, I mean, he might have won Scotty with Michael, but like Scotty ran that thing beautifully. You know, I always felt like if the Knicks were looking for an next player to, to coach a triangle, then it, it probably should have been Scotty versus like you know anybody else that, that was going to do it because he knew it so well. But um, he, his stick—he was a stickler for details. And he had an eye for it. So he could, you know, from 300 feet away, you know, detect, oh, his footwork wasn't right on that pinch post catch when he comes around, that kind of stuff. And uh, if, without that, uh, it's harder to get through. Um, and I think that that's the, the, the key. Now, it does take a while. Even the Lakers, when they ran it the second when uh, they brought Phil in, uh, they had to bring in all your guys, right? Well, they brought in Sally. And they brought in. Um, Ed, I'm trying to think of some other. The old Ed, like Horace brought, Grant came yeah, back.
0: Yeah, and Edwards came in, and, and uh, Edward Buddha, yeah. yeah.
1: So like they needed to bridge that gap by just bringing in you know these older guys who really weren't even effective then but could at least give them a, a solidified you know triangle base. Um, and I so I think the text is the one you know denominator there that really helped. And um, I funnily enough, I just did a video on the triangle that the Bulls ran and i had for years been saying i would never run that again i ran in high school as a pure triangle uh you know in the early you know in the 2010s mm-hmm. um about 10 11 uh, uh, 10 or 9 years ago and so i would never do it again i feel like there's a couple things it doesn't let you attack on the catch it's a little too slow but going through it again i'm starting to realize you know what i'm in love with this offense and, I, and i'm realizing that you can, with a couple small tweaks um you could it could be extremely viable and by the way everybody's running pistol action And pistol action, which is either like, here's what I, by the way, we can argue this because I consider it either a pin down into a handoff or a handoff into a ball screen. I kind of, those are two of the same for me. You're right. Okay. And I, by the way, I think that the, um, the pin down into handoff pistol is from the triangle offense. It's the secondary action. If you don't pass it to the pinch post. Mm -hmm. So everyone's running that everyone's running the triangle and they don't even know it. And I think Tex, you know, had that vision even back then to say, hey, this is a great action that had existed already, but he figured out a way to make it into an automatic. So anyway, this is a long winded answer. I apologize. But I think no. the bottom line is, is that um, with a, it needed to be tweaked a little bit. So for instance, when you threw the ball from the guard to the forward, the guard would run to the corner in front of the forward. Well, you know, that takes away the forward's uh, opportunity to attack. Which back in the day might have been okay because it forces at least one more pass in your offense, but now you got to be have the option to be able to drive and shoot and do things with that, and so in, it's too slow while you're waiting for the guard to get to the corner. So you eliminate stuff like that, you adjust a little bit of the spacing, pinch post would now be instead of at the elbow, it would be at the three-point line. And uh, I'm telling you, can you imagine if Steph and, um, and Kevin Durant ran that action? Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you don't know what it is, you're listening, it's Steph Curry would throw the ball to Durant near the elbow and follow his pass to the outside. And he could fake it to him, he could hand it off to him, they could do whatever they wanted with the whole side of the court open. Uh, you wouldn't stop that.
0: Well, I think the greatest coaching move Steve Kerr ever made was not taking the Knicks job, right? Oh, yeah. And then, you know, what he did, I think, is develop in Golden State a hybrid of the Spurs and, you know, what he learned from Phil. And, you know, and he does have – he used to have some of those pinch post actions and stuff. Uh, But, you know, I think uh, what he also did was he incorporated Phil's philosophy of – you know, moving the ball and touching the ball. And I think the, the big thing on the Golden State teams for years was when they had over 30 assists, which is absolutely astronomical number, uh, they would win like every game. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was really a cool thing. When, uh, when, you, when, when did you really figure out that, or how did you figure out that this was really, in essence, a business
1: for yourself? Wow, that's a great question. Well, I was coach. I was the head coach at a, at a big high school in, in L.A. at the same time I was doing B-Ball Breakdown. And at some point, probably two years into doing both of those things, I started realizing that like both of these are kind of competing I- I for, for success. Mm-hmm. And um, so at some point, it's like, cause I, you know, back then I was probably doing, you know, two videos a week, maybe through two or three tops And this wasn't really, didn't have a lot of time. I would be at practice, I'd be at games. It was hard for me to monitor what was going on in the NBA uh, day to day. So um, I think that basically once I stopped coaching, uh, you know, the, the next day, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to put all my effort into B-Ball Breakdown every day and see what happens. And that was pretty much when that all, it all became a thing where I could, I could make this into a business where um, suddenly there's revenue coming in based on the number of views, which was hard, you know, especially then. There was a weird time in 2010 when I when first started where there were about 50 people who were YouTube stars screwing around in front of the camera and making six figures. Uh, but it was, it, it kind of changed around that time. It was a little bit harder to figure out the algorithm and stuff. And, um, only when I finally started doing it every day and really showed, I guess I just showed YouTube, Hey, I want to make this into a business. And they kind of turned around and somehow it became a business. And then from there, you know, once you get to a certain level, then, you know, the advertisements come in and, um, and then that becomes another part of the business as well. And the fun thing for me, um, so, you know, I would say it took me, I would say maybe maybe two and a half, three years before I could kind of, you know, get, get into that mode where I can do it and make it into something viable.
0: So after this quick timeout, we're going to come back and I'm going to really hit you with the now the real hard questions. But after this timeout, we'll be back with Coach Nick. Let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind in the basketball shooting machine industry that enables players and coaches to stay connected, design and upload training exercises, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is, without question, the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at Dr. Dish B-Ball. Don't forget to mention Coaching You and receive $300 off on your next Dr. Dish purchase. That's right. Mention Coaching You or the podcast and get $300 off your Dr. Dish. We're back with Coach Nick, Basketball Breakdown. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I watch... Watch your stuff. I'll be honest with you. Nick Nurse is a friend. He's a great coach. Always has been a hell of a coach. And the breakdown you did on the Raptors maybe a week ago or so uh, was incredible. And what I loved about it, and this is what separates you from others. I mean, anyone can put out a video of a play. And I don't mean that. I mean... I couldn't, but I mean, you know what I mean? Anyone can show anyone a play. Just put it out there on Twitter or on some. But what you did is you put out and taught uh, how the Raptors were playing a 3-2 matchup zone and going into man-to-man. And it was one of the most detailed and best explanations I've ever heard and description of really what was happening. This was no guesswork. This was happening. And... You know, and and then and then you went to the triangle and two, and I love that kind of stuff. And that's you know the triangle two or the box and one. What they did on Curry last year was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Never seen it before in the NBA. I've only been in there about thirty years, right? So I'd never seen that. It's fabulous. But here's the thing that I get uh, when you get and do that. I'm looking at that, and I'm listening to that, and I've sat in coaching meetings for over 30 years in the NBA, and I haven't heard too many people explain things as well. Why are you not coaching in the NBA?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Okay, well, I, I'll say this. You because, you know, be, I, was a, I could
0: be your agent, you know what I mean? Like, hey,
1: well, here's the thing. Um, so, you know, I was a manager. And there was a path at that point out of college, which a lot of my friends or people that I knew did, which was extremely nomadic, right? One of my buddies who became a D1 coach eventually, uh, you know, never was in one place for more than like two or three years at a time, Mm -hmm. Uh, never really had a family until he was 40. Um, And I I just feel like I don't know if I could have had that life. I don't know if I wanted to live that life. Now, separately, when I came out of college, I was like a film major, basically, and I wanted to make films. So I was working on commercials and films for years out of college, wow. and I would uh, I was writing screenplays and I was acting. I was doing a lot of improv and stuff. So I was sort of you know not on that path for a while. And the funny thing was, is I'd, I'd be writing screenplays and I liked doing that, and it was you know I, I had a passion for it. It, it was it was something that I could do well. But I would go play pickup, and I would come out of those games feeling so much more passionate and just like this fire in me about like how we played and what we were doing, what happened on the court, and I kind of just. Finally, said, Well, wonder why am I so passionate about this? I'm not doing anything about it. And so, you know, that's when I kind of got it back into coaching a little bit. I, I mean, I did coach uh, at my old grammar school out of college, sure. you know, and then I coached my freshman team, my old high school the next year. But then I, you know, I went away from it. I wanted to focus on the film stuff. So that was a crucial moment because by the time I met the, the lady I married and started the family with, you know, I was, I was doing other things. And I feel like had I already been like in a film room, Right or this is my life. You have to accept it, darling. Um, <laughs> then I probably could have continued that, but to try and do it now, or even if it was when I started b ball breakdown, which is I, I can't even believe it's been. It's I have my ten year anniversary from the first one I ever did, which is don't watch it. It's it's really bad. But um, <laughs> it, um, you know, it, it, like I do, It just I don't think my life. I don't think I could do it. I mean, I don't. I don't. I feel like I'm gonna. You know, like I should go lay down on the couch and we can talk more about this and you can take notes. But. Um, <laughs> You know, but it's, uh, it, it's I, I have, time to, <laughs> like, have yeah. time to do that now. We have time to do that. So, I mean, I don't know how anybody, anybody makes it work. I mean, certainly all the scouts that I know and I meet and they talk about their kind of schedule. I don't know how you keep a family together doing that. And, you know, it, it's got to be the same with being on a bench or whatever. But I did my toe a little bit. And I think what I would probably end up liking to do. And I do it a little bit now with like a couple players. I work with them a little bit on there. I do deep dive analytics on three point shooting with them. Uh, is is maybe do something like that, where like in the off seasons, and I'm doing reports, and I'm kind of giving them, you know, from my from my uh, studio, just you know, my analysis without mm-hmm. having to like you know be there. So yeah, it's basically the reason. Now, at some point, if it gets a little bit later, and like my my family life changed the dynamics change with the kids and all, then you know maybe I would I would you know push a little bit. But you know again, it's so out of the box, you know, to, for someone to hire me with my background uh, for an NBA team. You know what I mean? Like it, it could happen, but it's, you know, I don't know. It'd be crazy.
0: You better hope I don't become a GM again. Then I'll hire you. I would, you know I'll, what, if you I want would. to hire me, I will work for you. I and would, work- I would hire I you in a heartbeat. No, um, and and it, here's yeah. the reason, Nick. I, I mean, I mean, I mean this seriously is that, uh, you know, the young guys that are trying to break into coaching, they, they immediately, as we both know, want to skip steps. They want to be like you, what took you 10 years to bust your ass doing. They want to be you like, you know, you know, watching one film and it's a long, hard process, but you've now already, you have the incredible competency. You have the knowledge, you have the ability to teach because I mean, you know, so much of our teaching is now done through film with players. You know, breaking mm-hmm. it down for them and stuff. Uh, and I, now let's see. I have this secret. Now I knew. Now you're you were an actor, an improv. You mm-hmm. needed you need a sense of humor if you're coaching half of the teams in this league. So you'd be perfect for that. You know, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I, 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 you know, it's it's just something. As I'm watching you and I'm listening to you teach and break things down, I'm saying, uh, you know, f- the biggest thing in coaching at the NBA level is uh, competency. You gotta know what the hell you're doing, uh, and then the ability to communicate uh, with uh, with the players, and for them to trust you. And I think you have all those. So it's just something that do- dawned to me as I'm watching it, and I saying, uh, you know, it never, it never, t- never too late, you know, and stuff. And then, you know, you take a cut in pay and come to the NBA where you make three, four, five hundred thousand plus that per diem you know it'd be pretty good she, my wife always took the salary i got to per diem it was so <laughs> <laughs> she's a smart lady yeah she's uh, really smart yeah
1: yeah no i, I hear you i mean you yeah, know it, it would be amazing and uh it's it's you know I, listen did, did i start to raise my eyebrow when i heard that they're starting a g league team in la you know down the street from me um yeah like that's interesting uh and mm-hmm. that would probably be even more attainable than than even an nba job um, so, you know, is, that would be something interesting. But nonetheless, uh, yeah. And, and by the way, the funny thing about all of that and the way the communication thing is, is that, you know, I was a teacher, too. I, I kind of left that out. So when I was uh, coaching in the high school level in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was also teaching in a big public school. And I got to tell you, uh, that's the equivalent of like you know how Nick Nurse was in England with <laughs> yeah. no assistance, coaching, yeah. you know, right. and they coach out of a paper bag. <laughs> it's the same thing there. You sure. have to figure out and yeah, how to communicate and how to be entertaining and interesting and uh, and in all manner of ways of describing things because they have such a wide range of people and uh, and how they uh, uh, learn. So that's a really it was a great way to kind of you know learn a different way of how to communicate, and it certainly helps you know, on the basketball court.
0: Nick, how, how, tell me this. Uh, you study the NBA all the time, you know, every single day. Uh, what do you think some of the, in our modern day of the last two, three years, and the game has significantly changed the style of play, in my opinion, uh, over the last five years. What, what, when you study it, what are some of the actions that you believe are most effective during today's game?
1: OK, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, it just so happens. I actually did a video. I have a library, a premium library that people can order videos from. And one of them is the four must have actions in your offense. And um, and so I broke it down. And, and it basically based on what I've seen in the NBA and, um, and even though I did it probably a couple years ago, it's, it's still very appropriate now. I mean, the first one we talk about is the low post split. And it's what the Warriors do. It's what the Bulls did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to. I'm looking in my mind's eye right now. It was like was Mark Aguirre getting it, and was was Dumars and, and, uh, no, and Isaiah? We, putting, yeah, no, no, we no, we just spo-
0: we just spotted up because we knew Mark would get uh, double teamed, and we just wanted to spot up and whoever they left, we would swing, swing the ball to that open shooter, whether it be Lambier, you know, or whoever okay. we get the open shot. But Utah was a team that ran the split. Yeah. Like, you know, and yeah. and did it great. check in Stockton when they fed it to Carl.
1: So, so here's what I love. I have a collection of old, you know, basketball books from the 20s and the 30s and all sorts of things, and they have diagrams in there. And in, in, you can go back to Tex Winners, K State teams in the 60s. They all ran that action. You you see splits all over the place. The original uh, Celtics in the 60s. Sorry, they're not the original. The original Celtics with uh, Nat Holman. Yeah. Uh, you know what? They probably might have done it too because they had the, the pivot play with you know Dutch Dennard and, and then Holman coming around. I bet you they had a split something like that. So what I love about that is that the, the from the origins of the game, you can still run these actions. And th- what's better about it now is that our skill level is so much better that they can actually make these actions even more lethal than they were. But the base uh, idea had always been there. So that's a big one I think every team would need. And listen, the primary reason is because it's not for post-ups. It's for threes, right? Yep. The best three-point shots are when the pass comes out from the post because the, the, the defense has turned their head. Uh, the pass is now coming from the basket area, so the shooter is already aligned to the hoop better. Um, so I feel like when we keep talking about the post-up being dead, uh, you know, Tex winners certainly understood that the post-up was a great way to get penetration without having to dribble a ball through everybody. And, um, and, and not necessarily to shoot it. So that one was a, a really big one uh, that I think is important. And then conceptually, what I think every, at every level offenses need to have, however you want to get it, is the opportunity for players to be running into a catch. So they need to be able to have 15 feet of space where they're sprinting to get open. And then when they catch it, they can attack right on the catch. And that could be a pin down. It's probably usually maybe like a handoff. Uh, or pinch post action Um, so those are the kind of things i see that that i can i can advise like this is what you want to get without having to tell you hey this is the offense you must run but uh, it could be more creative where i can say listen you you have your offense i'm sure you can figure out how you can get your players enough catches like that and make it really hard on the defense
0: i love it what about some of the contenders now We, we, we don't know what the heck's gonna happen this season uh i i my heart of hearts believes we will play uh, to some degree. Uh, I, I'm leaning to playoffs only, possibly, mm-hmm. but there might be more. But of the best teams, what's your feelings about um, you know, both east and west? What, what, are, what are your predictions on that?
1: You know, you know I, I had said in the beginning of the year that the Clippers were still the team to beat. And um, I, I, nothing has really changed my mind, even though the Lakers hammered in the last time they played. I had yeah. this big video all set to go about why the, Lake, why the Clippers were you know, going to be the, the, the eventual <laughs> champions. And then they lost to – I think they lost to Milwaukee and then the Lakers maybe in my mind. Listen, we're so knee-deep in this time. My mind is mush. But I think that was what happened. And so I didn't do the video. But if you stack up the Lakers, those are the top two teams in the West without question. Those are the, one of those teams is going to get to the finals. And if you have to imagine, and you would know this really well from the Pistons, is that depth is so important and you're playing in the playoffs even now. And once you get beyond the you know the top three or four players for the Lakers, then it's like the Clippers are so much better from four to eight or nine that um I just can't believe they wouldn't they wouldn't be able to win four games in a you know in ten days against the Lakers. Yeah, Lawrence
0: Frank and his staff uh have put together they didn't take any chances. They went and got 15 guys, you know. Yeah. And uh, Doc, who was one of my former players with the Hawks, uh, who I love to death, uh, they, you know, you, when you have Doc Rivers as your coach, you don't worry about him being able to manage players and personalities. <laughs> right. You know, he's just amazing like that. Uh, I I really agree with you. I think uh, Denver's a good team, but, I, you know, and they have a nice squad. but. I think it might be a different deal when they come to those two teams out west, in my opinion. How about on the east side, which is like the stepchild of the West this year?
1: Yes. Now, obviously the Bucks are putting up such historical numbers that it's like you pretty much yeah. could, you know, pencil them into the finals. But I gotta tell you, uh, you know, Coach Nurse, it, it, what he is able to do if I and, and the bootholzer is also good. But if I had to choose between the, you know those two guys and who would, who would be able to out adjust the other, I'm going with Nurse all day on that one, and that actually might be uh, the deciding factor on that one. Even though the Bucks do have such an enormous uh, advantage with Giannis, it's funny because the Bucks do some like I'm a really big no middle defense guy. I mean, I sure. I had learned that. Um, here's actually a funny story. I learned it with Sue at, at Wisconsin, no yep. middle, and we we would you know close out with uh, our uh, foot high so that we they, you know literally wouldn't let him go into the middle. Um, and at some point, I ran into Sandman Gundy when he was with the Pistons, and he told me that they don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I was like, it just shattered my whole you know existence of coaching, you know, on my feet because. I had built up, you know, and I and, and by the way, I I found enough good coaches that still believe in no middle that I'm I'm still believing in it. But the thing with the Bucks is they don't really do that. They help one pass away and they allow middle penetration and it could, because they're trying to stop the threes on the on the, on the, on the uh, up top and on the wings at all uh, at all costs. So they do things that are kind of violating of what I would say you can do uh, as a defense uh, by as a team defense. And so and yet listen, they're number one, I would imagine, or they're really high as defensive rating. So I like. Who am I to, to criticize sure. that? But it, my spidey sense always rings when I see them do that and they, the other team generates good shots from it. And it, it would worry me, not in a first round series, not even the second round, but in like a conference finals, I would be worried again you know, in a seven-game series knowing that that's how they're going to defend. Um, you know, they're going to give up good shots and they're going to give up open threes. Uh, that's that would just be concerning to me. So those two things make me feel like, you know what, the Raptors have as good a chance as any. And I, I love the underdog, and that'd just be a great story.
0: It's hard to win with two stars only. And they really have one one and three-quarter stars. I don't think Middleton's a – I know he's an all-star and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you see what they have, you know, with the Clippers, <laughs> and then, yeah. of course, you see what the Lakers, two stars are two incredible stars. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. What about Brad Stevens as a sleeping a sleeper in this one at all?
1: You know, something about the Celtics always sort of makes, you know, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I've been trying for a couple of years now. And one of the things about Brad Stevens is he's still regarded, right, as one of the best coaches in yep. the league. Yeah. And he should be. But I think he's, he needs to go to the NBA Finals if he wants to continue earning that title that in sure. that category he, he at some point he's just gonna have to do it somehow you know other coaches have, and so um you know, I love what they have uh and by the way, if it was between Brad Stevens and anybody else and you'd give him the nod as far as adjustments and then certainly out of bounds plays, which you know that's the other thing is yeah. I don't think coaches um, value out-of-bounds plays enough. Uh, in fact, you know, if you get 10 of those in the game and you really run them to get good shots, especially baseline, or even sideline, uh, you know, you're talking about a, a six or eight extra points that you could get versus just throwing it in and setting up a play. And uh, so the Celtics really do that well. The irony is that uh, they're not always at the top of the league in points per possession on out-of-bounds plays, which is strange because they they execute them so well. But at any rate, uh, so the Celtics are, are the one team that, um you know, uh, the question is, can they play sort of above their head? They're a little bit weak at a, a position or two, and um, that's gonna that's gonna hurt them, you know, in the conference finals. But they certainly should get deep in the playoffs. Um, but I don't know. I, I got to go with the Raptors at this one.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, well, I really, having coached in Toronto a long time ago, I, you know, when the franchise first started, I say, boy, I think they have a great home court advantage, but <laughs> their home court advantage could be Orlando, Florida. So I don't know. you know, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, all that is thrown out. Milwaukee's a terrific home court advantage. Uh, so playing, everyone playing games in the same spot, I just can't imagine. Without fans, it's yeah. a big factor. Well, I really think it is.
1: Oh, and you're lucky because you got to be on the bench at the Mecca.
0: Yeah, which was an amazing – I came in the league when the Mecca was there and 10,000 seats. Yeah. UB Brown was my head coach and Fratello was the assistant. My God, it was amazing. And they had phenomenal team back then, just incredible team. And Nelly was coaching the Bucks.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, yeah. Speaking of Hubie, like, so one of the reasons why I'm, I think I'm, I have ability to do what I'm doing is because I grew up with Hubie on, on TV breaking this stuff down and Mike Fratello. So those are the guys. And you know, the other thing is, I think John Madden might have had a really big impact on me. And I'm in, in some weird, like, just osmosis way, just watching him do his football stuff because I was always amazed with him. Uh, And how he did it. And then in my household, growing up in Chicago, Al McGuire was like revered. Uh. (laughs) <laughs> he, we could never say, you couldn't say uh, uh, anything bad about him uh, in my household because yeah. you get in trouble.
0: No, yeah. Uh, so, so, you again. know, I, I no, no, you, yeah. you were yeah. able
1: to work with Hubie. Um, I actually ran into in the 2014 finals, and you know, as it should not be surprising, we ended up in like a 40 minute conversation in the bowels of the of the uh, stadium. And I'm worried he's got to be somewhere or go, you know, appear somewhere on TV. And I'm like, Are you sure everything? Okay. And he's like, No, we keep talking. He, we had a great conversation. So. Um, you know, those guys just really know how to explain the game. And I think through, you know, just by growing up with it, I think it's really what really helped me to figure out how to do it.
0: Well, he was my high school coach my sophomore year. So, oh, I mean, you wow. talk about influencing you on wanting to become a coach. You know, uh, I remember my mom was a teacher, my dad had worked in the automotive industry, and I'd come home and then. My mother said, You got to go to college, you know, you got to get a real good job and everything. And I said, Well, I want to be a coach. And she like looked in that Catholic disdain at me, like, You know, son, <laughs> what is wrong with you? You know, you need to go to college, you know, to get a really good job, go to law school. And I said, No,
1: I want to be a coach, mom. Oh, God. Oh, wow. And Let me, I have a question for you, coach. Are you ready? So at some point, and it's, it's come back because you also ask, you know, like what are, what are teams running these days? Horns has kind of made a little bit of a comeback. It's interesting how the ebb and flow of offensive sets, you know, I would think in 2015 it might have been. Every team was running it. I even had yeah. a weekly series back then, Horns Plays of the Week. And, <laughs> I would ha- and, I, and I would train my audience to recognize it. And then they would send me clips of when they saw it. And then I would get 20 or 30 suggestions and I'd pick the top five. Wow. but. And then it went away, and now it's back again. So here's my question, because we were trying to figure out what the origin of it was. And the rumor is that Chuck Daly had this drill they ran with two high posts, and they would cut around and whatever, get shots, and they decided to make that into an offensive set. Is that true?
0: That is absolutely true. And uh, UB, uh, Chuck's favorite, favorite drill was what we, he called his hedge drill. And it was double high post, like the horns is, the guard out front, and he would teach his players how to hedge or show on a pick and roll by dribbling off of the either postman. You would get out and show really hard, let the guard get underneath the guy that was hedging or showing, and the offside post guy would then help on the roll guy, and UB I'm sorry UB was my high school coach Chuck then became my mentor so and they're best friends ironically so they I interchanged them and and so we would do that every day we would do zigzag drill and we would do the hedge drill and you know when uh, so Chuck and I go to uh, Spain the year before the dream team before we we're going to coach in there and so he's got to do a clinic to 1400 coaches in Europe and uh and so, you know, we were talking about it. We had, you know, we had just taken a job at New Jersey at, uh, no, we were, we were going into our last year. I'm sorry, with the Pistons. And so he said, oh, what should I speak on? I said, well, you know, you have all your pick and roll plays and all this stuff. And he said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to show him our V offense. And that's what we called it, a V. So if you can figure out at the where your fingers are the web of them is where isaiah was and then their two postman or you know are lambier and mahorn and uh two shooters in the corner and how the drill evolved was that vinnie johnson just kicked Dumars and isaiah's ass every day running that drill killed him i mean because vinnie could really play pick and roll he'd come off and he'd score and uh, finally, one day he said, hey, ch- yo, yo, as he would say in Brooklynese, yo, Chuck, let's put this in as an offense. And he'd say, no, 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 it's a good drill. It's our drill. And he said, no, coach, <laughs> coach no one can stop me. And, and so he talks and listens to Vinny. And Vinny says, just stick, stick Aguirre in one corner and Dubar's in the other. I'll be fine. <laughs> and he said, we'll roll the guy down. We'll bring the other guy to the top. And, that was it. and that's how it started. And we called it the V. And then, you know, and, and so we went over there. We showed the coaches in Europe the V offense. And those guys, I'm very proud to say, have taken it. The EuroLeague coaches have taken it and run with it and become so creative, way more creative than any of the coaches in the college or the NBA, and really developed it into a whole thing. I mean, it's just phenomenal what they've done over there, and they almost scheme everything out of that. Uh, from bringing a ball up the middle of the floor to bringing it up the side of the floor, and it's amazing. And uh, and I give the credit for them to develop it, but that was Chuck showing them in Europe our head wow. drill. True story. So
1: was there ever the drill? Uh, it was always pick and roll, or was ever a, was there ever a high post entry and then like a no, pinch post action?
0: It was always pick and roll. Okay. Yeah, because Vinny, uh, Vinny was not passing that ball. He was not good <laughs> pass right.
1: it. He, but by the way, if can you imagine if he passed it to uh, Lambier and then came back around, and Lambier could you know set a screen for him there, and he could just catch it and shoot it? Oh off no, uh, it, yeah, cheat. it's,
0: it's pinch post all over. And you know, you did a breakdown, I, I think, on Utah recently, and I love Quinn Snyder. And uh, out of that horn's entry, now you know they have one postman screening for the other postman as to get a passing entry now and so they did that they hit them they ran the guard around or they can you know and uh you know the stuff that you can get off of that is absolutely incredible uh so uh you know i think those are the things that you can add to it and people have added flex offenses off it when you pass yeah. all kinds of stuff and, and and i think it's fabulous what's been done but that yeah. is a true story that you heard
1: Wow. All right. That's great. Because, you know, we're starting to pull us all apart. We ice defense, which is what I would also think everyone should play now, because the ball handling is so damn good at every level now. Sure. Uh, you know, dropping the big, uh, you know, th- supposedly I had seen it. The Bulls do it in the 90s. And I went up to Pippen and I said, hey, there's a rumor that like you guys invented it by accident. Like one day you did it. And then it kind of worked. And like we said, you know we should do that more. And Scotty took one look at me. He goes, it wasn't by accident. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." So, I and it probably was against you guys. And maybe that was what it was uh because it was so hard to defend, which it could be another question I have for you, the bad boys and how you relish that that uh moniker and and played so physical. I, the irony for me is that you, you guys were so skilled offensively that I don't even know if you needed to be that physical to be so good. You know what I mean? Yeah. You had everything you needed. Offensively, to outscore everybody anyway. Yeah. And,
0: uh, yeah. Yeah. So the bad boys was nothing that, you know, Chuck thought up of. Uh, We did not teach physical play. We did not teach to be dirty. I can honestly tell you. Uh, that was all internal. That was all players, leading players. And what they wanted to do was lambier and Isaiah were committed to that if we're going to win, we're not the most talented team in the whole league. Um, you know, they felt, you know, Boston and Cleveland became very talented. And of course, out west, the Lakers were that we had to be mentally, mentally tougher than the people we were playing against to be able to go into their building and win. And also to be physically tough to play. De- and so, uh, to be honest with you, Nick, what Chuck did is he only emphasized two things he emphasized defense and rebounding, never talked about offense. And he ran the great stuff but he only talked about those two things. And so in playing good defense, you have to be physical, but not to be dirty, but just physical. And, uh, and then as we got into playoff series, you know, like five years in a row, they played in the conference finals. They just developed a thing where basically you just didn't let the other team in the playoffs get a layup, you know, kind of, that was a mantra, so to speak. And that, you know, can become physical, so to speak. Um, and then you know, Michael, you know, had a tendency to take off very early, and so you get hit while you're up there. You can fall hard. So, you know, he he did some things that weren't conducive to his well-being, but it wasn't by <laughs> anything that coaches uh, did. You know, by anything. I wish I was. That I wish the players would listen to me that well, but they didn't. Uh, but you know, but the mentality. That was all them, and I think they they believed that they could walk in anywhere and win because they were mentally stronger than their opponent. And the Bulls finally won when they became mentally and physically as tough as us.
1: Right. Yeah. Now the the league has changed, and I think the style of play across the board has changed. Where that kind of whatever, if you want to call it mental toughness, I don't even think is required because you can't beat them. You can't be that physical anymore, right? Like it's a different game. Um, To me, it's like Bill Lambeard could have been a hero. He could have been one of the first, like, stretch fives, right? And been a guy who would, you know, really cause problems on the offense. He was a great rebounder. Like, you know, earlier in his career, he would average – he'd lead lead the league or be in the top with a crazy amount of rebounds. So it was almost like, you know, I mean, he he made a decision because he he wasn't always like that in the early part of his career. But I I think I might want to even do a video on this and just sort of explain, you know, to me, Isaiah Thomas was the predecessor of, uh, of Steph Curry. You know shooting off the dribble fancy dribbling you know cr- crazy passes like he did all of that don't you think
0: oh without doubt and and Isaiah just loves Steph Curry, loves him uh you know he, he just you know I mean uh, there and Steph is you know having coached against Dell you know S- Steph is just one of the most beautiful human beings on this earth but Isaiah in you're a Chicago guy I mean Isaiah's inch for inch pound for pound, the toughest player I've ever coached in the NBA. I mean, physically tough. I mean, you know, six foot, six won, 175 pounds, but will take on anyone anywhere. Steph's not that. He's finesse and all that. That's fine. Doesn't affect your greatness at all. But they're two different style of players. But but Steph has a, the a highest skill level I've almost ever seen. Uh, you know, but Isaiah, you know, as far as handling a ball – and being able to score when he needed to, incredible. That shooting ability yeah. to Steph's un, um, unmatched.
1: <laughs> well, here, here's the funny thing: is I was in Chicago Stadium for all those games, and there was no bigger groan than when it swung to Isaiah, and he was going to shoot it from the outside because we knew it was going in; it yeah. was open, right? Yeah. And you know, these kids today look at they go look at his you know his stats, and they say, "Oh, he shot you know thirty percent from three. He wasn't a good three point shooter." And I can guarantee you, half of the shots were from the backcourt probably right at the buzzer yeah. when they, you know, and the other half were, you know, just, you know, not, you know, not even intentionally like setting up a play to get a three. All I can tell you, and you please back me up. This guy, his shooting form was beautiful and he was a knockdown shooter lights out from any, you know, anywhere in front of the three point line. I don't think it would have been this, it would not have been a stretch to, to, had it been an emphasis, he would have easily been able to shoot, you know, 40% from three.
0: Yeah. You know, he, uh, he broke his hand before uh, in April, when we were playing the Bulls in Chicago Stadium, when he punched Bill Cartwright in the head, that was not a very smart thing to do. And he broke his hand, and he played the entire last two weeks of regular season and 17 games in the playoffs with a broken hand. And then we had to have surgery on it. And then the last three years I coached him, he played with a wrist that basically ended his career. So the last three and a half years of his career – he played with a bad wrist. That's a oh, factor wow. also. Was you that
1: know? was that when the Bulls finally won? Uh,
0: yeah, the, the last uh, two years uh, when Isaiah, well, actually the last three years of his career, uh, his wrist was totally shot, and then including that year, uh, and then you know he uh, the first year, Dumars won the MVP in the finals because he had a broken wrist, and then the next year, he won the finals against Portland. Uh, you know, and was just spectacular in that. But there, there's there's no better guy as far as taking over a game. And, you know, the biggest thing that Chuck ever did with Isaiah was convince him to not try to lead the league in scoring. You know, he was mm-hmm. capable of getting 30, 35 points a game. He was like Michael in that regards. And, but to, if he could get 17, 18 points a game, we would win. And that was, that's a hell of a sales job to do to a guy that's good enough to get 25 or 30, you know.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, those teams were so tough. It was, you know, uh, it ruined. uh, Well, actually, my memory is the Knicks Bulls were the ones that ruined the Mother's Day's. Because uh, we would we would be so tense watching those games, and we'd be yelling at each other at the table afterwards. Um, it ruined The Bulls the Bulls played the Pistons a little bit later. I feel like there was I don't know if it was Mother's Day crossover, but still, it was just there, I could still have that feeling of dread, uh, you know, entering the stadium uh, knowing what was going to happen. Well, it was um,
0: uh, it was always uh, we played them in the Eastern Conference Finals uh, three straight years. Memorial Day weekend was usually Game Three, you know, mm-hmm. that weekend uh, that we would play, and uh, you know, it, it was good for TV, great, for, you know, but not good for family time, as you would say. But uh, but you know, there was nothing like those playoff series, to be honest with you, between those two teams, because there was no love, true, no love between them. There was no handshaking, kissing after the game. That was for sure, not sure. like nowadays. <laughs>
1: and 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 I don't even know if. <sighs> You know, I know it's nostalgic, and those were those were really tough series, and they were, you know, all the things, you know, epic and and dramatic. But I don't. I wonder if it's if we would say it's better or worse now be, because there's an absence of that complete malice and hate. What what do you think?
0: Oh boy, um, you know, I I think you know I, I live in today's. I never try to go back. I don't play the, well, we would have beat him if, you know. I just think it, I appreciate and I salute the talent of today. Uh, I understood what our, our era was, you know. But, uh, you know, heck, I coached in, I think, mm-hmm. five decades. You know, uh, uh, it started in 79, 80 with Bird Magic, and they came into the league. And ended around 2010. So, you know, I touched a little bit of every decade, and uh, but you know, and coached against all the great players in the league, uh, and I appreciate all of them, and I love all of them, and uh, you know what they are. And so, for me, to like you know, you, I've coached against Mike and LeBron and Kobe, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. I mean so, and I mean they're they're all incredible. And on equal nights, I got to, my ass kicked by all three of them, you know, on different times. But they're they're so special, and you know, I you know, I just hate to even uh, compare them. You know, you can break them down really better than I. But uh, but they were they are so special, those guys. And it's a great era that we're in right now, and the, and the NBA is benefiting from it. And that's why I think we need to have them back, Nick.
1: Uh, I have a couple. I, do we have, are we good on time? I have a couple questions for
0: you. Yeah, Yo, this is your show. Uh, whatever. All right. You're hey, all right. <laughs> because.
1: <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I think your generation, uh, you're a little bit older than me, not much, but a little bit older than me, uh, is, is like a bridge because like, I was going to do a video on sort of the history of basketball training and you know, how we started, like literally how, what, what, what was a practice like in the 20s or the 30s and then what did they go? And I think what I was realizing as I was thinking about it was that there's going to be a 40-year stretch where nothing changed much at all. And I feel like when you played, you were learning from the stuff that they were teaching from the 40s, right? When were you in high school? 60s,
0: I, 60s? I, I played for UVA. At 69. I graduated high right. school, college, 73. Okay.
1: So clearly you were learning the stuff that your coach had learned when he was in the, you know, playing in the 40s, whatever. So you have like a, you know, a firsthand knowledge of what that was like. Sure. And I kind of feel like because you know, now the way I teach shooting – and it is so radically different than anything I would have learned in the 80s growing up, right? Sure. It's, compl- it's almost the opposite of what they told you to do. Um, and I'm kind of curious. Would, do you, a, first of all, would you, is, that, is that a correct assessment that you feel like uh, there was a huge uh, decades-long stretch of like nothing really evolving in the game the way we trained and taught?
0: Yeah. I mean when I first came in the league, uh, there were no pick and rolls in the NBA. Uh, they yeah. were You know, w- w- when I was with UB and Fratello, we were the first team to trap anyone in the post in the NBA in the mid-80s. You know, no one trapped in the- anyone. Uh, So, you know, then we started trapping pick and rolls. You know, no one had done that. I mean, so the game evolved defensively, but offensively, you know, slow, in my opinion. Very, very slowly. Uh, But, you know, I think the, the biggest thing, in my opinion, and, you know, my friend and yours, Chris Oliver, and I both – are so heavy believers in this, is that the game was taught? We all were coaching, coached and taught to coach. That it's all about drills. It's all about drills. We got to do drills. Got to do drills. And I am, for a guy that's been coaching so long, I am totally the opposite of that. I am. I don't want to see too many drills, except you know in off-season workouts and in pre-practice stuff, I want to see five-on-five play, teach kids how to play. And that's where I think uh, that's the biggest evolution, I think, in the game. And the, and the NBA is we've always been – college coaches have told me, and I, I believe this, we've always been five years ahead of the college game as far as the game. Uh, pro football and college football very, very close, very close. But, they, they, but there's a huge difference in the coaching styles and levels from NBA to college coaches. And I think, you know, and that's not to piss off my friends. I love them. But, you know, it's just they're far more advanced. And the reason I say that is it's a job. We do it all year long. We play a 100 games a year, you know. And so what we do, and you have limited practice time. We don't have any. Our kids don't go to classes, so they can work on their game. And so by osmosis – I'm going to become a better, I'm going to be, become a better coach than you because I get to do it all the time, and you don't. You're recruiting, you're worried about kids' academics and all that crap. I don't. I, I'm a pro coach. I worry about developing players and coaching the, our game. So it's. I think that's the biggest development and and the five on five level.
1: Sure. I mean, that's fascinating to me. I, I feel like you know, there's certain things, and I, I've maybe you've seen, you know, the fake fundamentals, which uh, my buddy Brian McCormick has written a couple of volumes on. Because uh, growing up, we would learn these things, these fundamentals, right, about how to shoot, sure. or how to pivot, or how to dribble, and I would watch the NBA guys, and they would not do any of the stuff that they're training us to do over and over again, right. And I just used to assume, well, all right, like Larry Bird gets to dip the ball on his shot. Well, I guess it's because he's 6'9", and that's why he's allowed to. And every coach I've had, because I was a good shooter, they're all telling me, up, oh, if you want to play D1, you can't dip the ball on the catch. And it's like, <laughs> y- y- you know, Ray Allen had one of the biggest dips of anybody. That's why I was, just, I, why I was laughing. Release. I was saying,
0: yeah, two or three of the best shooters we've ever yeah, had dipped.
1: I, I, I just posted a thing with uh, Steve Kerr. He dipped to his knees, you know, yep. and he was 6'3", and he needed to get it off as quickly as he could, to, you know, just to get it off before it, it got blocked. And, uh, and it, that wasn't always the key. And now that we have HD and we can go frame by frame and finally, like, reverse engineer what we're seeing the guys really do. I mean, I talked to, to some of the best shooters of all time, and some of those guys don't even know what they're doing. They will tell you what they were coached, you know, Mm -hmm. what they were trained to say, but it ain't what they're doing. And so it's, um, it's just a fascinating moment in our uh, existence where we have things like YouTube and people can now break this stuff down in, in minute detail and explain it, um, where. I mean, listen. It, it, I don't know if you ever saw the Star Trek movie where they come back to get the whales in San Francisco. And uh, anyway, Chekhov is in the operating table, and they're going to drill a hole in his head because he hurt his head. And then Bones comes in there and looks at this, thinking it's it's like the middle the the mid ages the Middle Ages with uh, leeches and stuff. And he waves his little wand and fixes everybody. That's how I feel when I walk into a gym and I still see guys, you know, running suicides or doing cone drills up, you know, forty five degree angles with dribbling yeah. stuff. It just it boggles my mind and. And, uh, and we've learned so much now that it's exciting because what all that means is that we're going to have so much better players as these 8- and 9-year-olds learn these new techniques. When they're 18, they're going to be so far ahead.
0: Well, athletically, they sure will. That's That's for sure. And as long as we have good coaching at the younger levels. That's my only concern from youth to high school because the high school coach, which was – that was my hero, right? In high school, my high school coach was my hero, and he was such an integral part of your life. and And I had three dirt great ones. and And now, because of AAU ball, you know, there was no AAU basketball when I, we went to summer camps. You know, right? And and that, which was all instruction, <laughs> summer camp. So that's my only concern: Are they getting taught the right way at that age? Uh, are they? Do they have better athleticism? Not even close, in my opinion. Not even close. Phen- phenomenal nowadays. The kids are incredible athletes. But the guys, the really great ones back before Isaiah's and them, they had a they had a brain on them that's but that's what the special guys now have. They're really smart. They're really smart guys, you know. Hey Nick, this is unbelievable. If people some of our listeners, uh, from anywhere in the world wanna get in touch or follow you, Uh, tell me how they can do that.
1: Well, you know, the, the first place you want to go is in my YouTube channel, which uh, is where all the videos are. That's the home base. And, uh, you know, I try and respond to as many comments as I can for each video. And then certainly on Twitter, I'm there all day, every day. And during the games, when we have games, I'm, I'm sharing uh, quick video clips and, and analysis there. And I generally respond to every tweet I get. Someone responds to me as much as I can. So that's another place. It's all B-Ball Breakdown on YouTube and be ball Breakdown on Twitter. It's on Facebook. It's on Instagram, which, by the way, if you're a coach would be a great follow because we're doing a lot more on court stuff and a lot more X's and O's things there to try and cultivate more of that community on Instagram. So, uh, you know, it's kind of all over the place and, uh, I'm, I'm easily found.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, any of our listeners, whatever level you're coaching at high school, college, or pro, Follow my friend, Coach Nick, and I'll tell you what, you'll become a better coach. And don't use an excuse that we don't have time. We have time right now to get better, and I <laughs> encourage you all to do that. Nick, this has been a thrill. Thank you so much. I learned a ton from you, and I, I learn a ton every time I go on your site. Thank you, my friend.
1: Well, thank you so much.
0: I know you enjoyed that, but can't be more than I did. It was absolutely spectacular. Um uh, you know, Coach Nick is one of the real, real amazing humans that we have in our game today. Uh, at any level, you you can learn this game from him. Please take advantage of it. Go on his YouTube channel, his Instagram, if you're a high school, college coach, and watch him on the court teaching. And, uh, and if you just want to be entertained by knowledge and someone that really knows what he's doing, go on to his uh, Twitter site at basketball breakdown b-ball breakdown okay i think you really enjoy it i know i did i can't wait till the next time i have him on hopefully when the nba comes back in i want to talk to him again so until next week this is the coach brendan sir